0: Okay, we are in um, Exodus 34, and we're going to start in verse 10 and actually go through to verse uh, 27. Uh, before we do that, I want to mention something from last week that I, I felt—I don't know if I did quite the best job with. We were talking about the goodness of God passing before Moses, and as we read that, the goodness of God. Um, says God is, um, talks, he proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord. So that is the I am and all that was involved in that. And then it says he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And all of those are really good things. Then it says who will by no means clear the guilty guilty, we would assume would be those who are not repentant, and that would be God's justice. And then it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And all of a sudden you stop and say, wait a minute, (laughs) that doesn't seem quite as good that the sins would be visited on the third and fourth generation. Um, And we talked about that not necessarily meaning that you your sin, if you're a father and you have a sin in your life, that that automatically passes on to the children. Some people interpret it that way. Um, I was talking with Daniel Lopez afterwards, and he pointed out something really important that I had missed. It doesn't say the sins of a father are visited. It, sends, it says the sins of the fathers are visited upon the third and fourth generation. And so um, I gave the example last week of the, the gal who came to me in class and uh, told me that her parents were divorcing and, and how that messed up her weekend and we said it's gonna mess up more than that. I mean, that has an impact on people. But that, what we're dealing with in the United States with the divorce and the illegitimacy and children who are born without parents, all of those things, Um, All our generational sins, they didn't start last year. When did those start? Well, probably 30, 40 years ago when a mindset shift took place and we moved away from God's teaching on marriage. And we are seeing that now. And this little gal in my class is dealing with sins of people who, uh, the fathers, the whole generation before. And you're seeing it play out in in what's happening all across our culture. And those things are part of God's goodness, because the, the sin that permeates society eventually causes um, a society to turn back to God. Or start over. Societies rise and fall, and then there's a new beginning that takes place. But it's all part of the justice of God. So um, I, I kind of Wanted to make that clear. We're, we're talking about things. Uh, what what we're doing now affects, uh, as a generation, affects what takes place two, three, four generations down the road, and and we're seeing the fruits of that right now. So, um, so that was that was last week. Uh, this week we have um, a great passage of scripture. Um, a, a little part of it. It's a l- long section, and it deals with now God reestablishing the covenant. Um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you have, where you're fighting with somebody that you really love and things aren't right and then somehow it's all done and the clouds clear and life is good again and it's forgiven and it's taken care of and it's like the, the, the storm is over. That's this week, the storm is over. God renews the covenant with the people. And he uh, reestablishes it. And they are back um, in covenant relationship with God. <coughs> so let us uh, read starting at verse 10. And I said, we'll go down through actually verse 28. Um, he says, and he said, behold, God is talking to Moses. I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as has not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. But let's let's just stop right there. Um, God is going to renew the covenant. Um, We'll read the rest of it here in a minute. God's gonna renew the covenant with the people. Uh, Remember Moses comes down from the mountain with the 10 commandments and he smashes the 10 commandments. It's actually, Moses is acting on behalf of God, I believe. He breaks that covenant. They have, they have violated the covenant by worshiping another God. Moses breaks it, and really, they've been in limbo this whole time, and now God says, I'm gonna renew the covenant. But what's amazing to me is the grace that's here. This is not begrudgingly renewing the covenant. This is not just, okay, I'll take you back. Look at the things that he says. Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. So God promises to do marvels. And they are his marvels. Notice it says they are created. It was a weird phrase. Uh, such Such as have not been created. Marvels unlike anything that any nation has ever seen. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So God is promising them not just to return to the covenant, but that they are going to see marvels, and that they will see the work of the Lord, and that it will be an awesome thing. So this isn't just, okay, I'll take you back. This isn't just, let's start over. This is, um, it's, it's uh, you're, you're my people, we're going to be, um, I'm going to be doing marvelous things among you. What are the things that he's talking about? What are the marvelous things that we're going to see with Israel? Think, think miracles. What are some of the cool things that happen from here on? The plague. uh, plagues were before. They've already seen that. They've already seen that. Yeah, you're going to have this ragtag group of slaves that are going to conquer the land. Yeah, uh, they're not soldiers, really. Maybe they had time to train in the wilderness, but uh, yeah. And we're going to see it in amazing ways. The walls of Jericho are going to are going to fall. And right. Be in
1: the
2: yep. So.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And even that is part of his work in them, to take them away, put them in captivity and bring them back. And it really isn't until that point that they finally are fully committed to him as one God. And then, of course, other sins creep in. So it's, it's interesting because we're, we're kind of struggling, but there's a lot of amazing things that happen. Think of all of Elijah's miracles. Think about the fact that when, when Elijah was on the earth, people were coming from other countries to get healed, right? And ultimately, even um, when Jesus is on the earth and doing miracles, that would be part of it. But you, you have, my favorite is when the Jordan River stopped when they crossed it. Of all the miracles, that's the one I would like to see, because that water just piled up. It was like there was a glass wall there or something. It'd be like if you walked into the King's River and for a while it just, the water just starts rising and it's being held back. It'd be kind of intimidating, but you walking, that would be pretty cool. But there's, you take David, you have what God does in Solomon's time where the entire earth is streaming to see the temple that he built. And there are marvelous things that God does with these people. Somebody had a comment, Rodden. Right now? They're probably two months out of Egypt at this point. Well, a little more than that because he was on the mountain 40 days. Um, But it's all within, uh, easily within the first year. They haven't been out of of Egypt for more than a few months at this point. Um, But the old covenant is marvelous. It's not nearly the new covenant, right? Because there's one thing the old covenant doesn't do And that is it doesn't change hearts. And that's why the promise for the new covenant, God says, I will make a new covenant with my people, not like the old covenant when I brought you out of Egypt. Um, I will give you a heart of, of flesh instead of stone and I will write my laws in your heart and no one will say, know the Lord because you will know him. So the new covenant is a much greater covenant, but it's easy for us to look back on the old covenant as a, as a bad thing. And it wasn't. It was a marvelous thing. It was a wonderful thing. It was God working with his people, but it was unable to change hearts. And so it isn't until Jesus Christ comes in the ministry of the new covenant. That's why when you get to Hebrews, the theme of the book of Hebrews is better. The new covenant is better. We have a better mediator than Moses. We have a better revelation than they've ever had before. We have a better uh, king. We have a better priest. We have a better sacrifice. Uh, we have everything is better. And Paul talks about that as well. Go real quick, and then I want to move on from this, to 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 4. And I know we've looked at that, and we'll probably look at it again. Um, actually, Second. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, start with verse 4, it says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competence to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. And... We'll, we'll stop there. But the new covenant is much, much greater. But the old covenant was a glorious covenant. And there were marvels to be done. Um, there are a lot of differences, and I don't have the time to spend with them. But if you think about the first establishing of the covenant versus now, um, the people were involved in the first one. Moses came down and read the law to them. They said, all that the Lord says we will do. Then um, they offered sacrifices, peace, and burnt offerings. They had 12 uh, 12, uh, uh, altars. They had one big altar where they poured half of the blood of the 12 bulls that were slaughtered, sprinkled the rest on the people. Then the 70 elders went up and had a meal with God and saw God. Then Moses goes up onto the mountain. And all of that took place. Uh, Moses goes up with that uh, goes up and God carves the tablets of stone and God writes on them. And in this one, it's God is dealing exclusively with Moses. The people are hardly even mentioned. That it's, it's the people aren't involved. God is making this covenant with, between Moses the mediator and him. People are almost left out of it. Um, Moses carves the tablets. Moses actually, we find out, writes on them. He chips them out. Um, and, and no one goes up on Moses onto a mountain with Moses, not even Joshua. Moses is up there by himself. So there are some fundamental differences here, all right? Let's go on to the next part, though, because this is where I really want to focus. In verse 11, and we are going to read to the, to the end, um, it says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god." Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of, their sac- of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and, your, you, and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break Mm -hmm. its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem and none shall appear before me empty handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest in plowing time, and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all the males appear before you. The Lord, the God of Israel, um, for I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land, and when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of the ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Moses. So he was with the Lord, 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank wine, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. All right, long passage, and we are not going to go into detail. We actually talked about that quite a bit back when we were going through some of that section. Um, But God's next instruction are going to cut right to the heart of the issue, and that is God wants to be worshiped exclusively. God wants to be worshiped exclusively. Every one of those commands deal with making sure nothing takes our focus off of worshiping Jehovah God. So the first thing he says is when you go into the land, no covenants with the people, no agreements. Um, You're to separate yourself from them. Now, we would say as Christians, we're to be in the world but not of the world. But God is saying, I want you to push those people out. I don't want any distractions um, toward worship. Um, Even though we're to be in the world, but not of the world, we are still to be undefiled by the world, right? Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you visit the widows and orphans in their distress and what, keep yourself um, undefiled or keep yourself unstained by the world. Uh, That is still our our goal. But they were told, push the people out. No covenants. Take all of the idols, all of the places of worship, tear those down. Just destroy them. If you get invited to go to a feast, don't go to the feast because you're going to end up eating things that are sacrificed to foreign gods and your sons are going to fall in love with their daughters. And their daughters... When they go whoring after their gods, you'll go whoring after their gods as well. And then unlike the first pass where where God had a mix of laws, all of the 10 commandments, they had what was called, for those of you who weren't here, the Book of the Covenant was three chapters. It talked about um, what to do if there was murder and different levels of murder, unintentional killing and whatnot, what to do for theft, what to do for sexual sin, what to do if somebody broke the Sabbath, what to do on all of these things. This now is exclusively focused on the people's relationship with God. I don't know if you caught that as you went through. None of these talk about how to deal with your neighbor. These are all vertical commands. So, um, you sh- <laughs> verse 17, you shall not make yourself any gods of cast metal. Uh, could we be any more specific? Why not just say any gods of, any gods of cast gold? <laughs> He's thinking of the golden calf. Don't do that again. No, no gods of cast metal. Uh, keep my feasts, the keep feast of unleavened bread. And then later on, the feast of weeks and the feast of ingathering. Make sure that you're celebrating the feast of the Passover. Make sure that those feasts are celebrated. You're to come to me, every man, to Jerusalem three times a year or to wherever the tabernacle or the temple is. Um, All that open the womb are mine, in verse 19, Um, because everything belongs to God. We owe him everything, and that's a giving back to him and acknowledging his ownership of everything. Um, Six days you shall work, and on the seventh you don't work. And oh, by the way, that applies to plowing time and harvesting time as well. (laughs) That means when you're really, really, really busy, right? You still don't work on the Sabbath. It separates you from the other people and it reminds you that everything comes from me. Um, And then, um, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened. And then finally, the weird one, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And we talked about that before. That probably refers to a pagan sacrifice. We have evidence that that was part of pagan uh, rituals to do that, and so God says, "Keep yourself away from those things." All right? Um, here was the verse that caught my attention, and one that I think can be misunderstood. Right in the middle of telling him to break them, to break down the altars, in verse fourteen, uh, it says, "For you shall worship no other god; for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous god." Did you know God's name is Jealous? All right. he, God says his name is Jealous. And then just to emphasize the point, he explains why his name is Jealous. Why is his name Jealous? Because he's a Jealous God, all right? God's name is Jealous, he is a Jealous God. You will be surprised how many times in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God calls himself jealous. Have we seen it before? Go back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Um, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, um, all of them speak of God being a jealous God. Um, Now, that causes just a little bit of problems perhaps because when I hear the word jealous, and my guess is you're not much different, there's almost universally a negative connotation, right? What does jealous typically imply? Was that? Well, definitely a lack of trust, yeah. So you have somebody who has a lack of trust, there would be jealousy. But when, when you, if, if I say, oh yeah, he's really jealous. Okay, there's pride involved there, probably. What else? What is that?
2: Control.
0: Control. Yeah, oftentimes we think of the controlling husband who won't allow his wife to do anything unless he's with her because he doesn't trust her. And there's, and so we don't like that. That's not good. What else? Isn't it almost a synonym for envy? If you're, if you're jealous, you're envious. Was that? And, and covetous. Yeah, that I want something that somebody else has. And it's used that way. It talks about Joseph's brothers were jealous of his coat. Because, and because he didn't have the attention that they wanted, or he had the attention that they wanted. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, envy, covetousness, um, we often, I often associate irrational type behavior, right? Somebody that is, is uh, mad, almost green with envy, the idea that they're so upset. And all of those things are negative those cannot be true about what about our god right so l- let me ask this question and i think the answer is pretty easy uh, is there a proper place for jealousy obviously god says he's jealous but for us is there a proper place for jealousy is there a right time for us to be jealous not god you and i
1: Okay. Absolutely when you love you can't you can't have love without
0: jealousy there also. Okay. Um
1: Jealousy there because my husband is my husband, and my wife is my wife. Why are they, we're,
0: we're in one, flesh, so why are they Yeah. We're, we're yeah. Um, I think the best example, and the one that is going to apply almost perfectly to God's jealousy, is that for us, the most proper place for jealousy is in the husband wife relationship because of two things. As Ben said, there's love, or love relationship, and there's also a covenant relationship. And in that type of relationship, jealousy is perfectly proper. There are things that are reserved exclusively for a husband and wife, right? Um, April can go and talk to a man at church. That's not exclusively reserved. Right? That, that's fine. Uh, she can go and spend time with girlfriends. She could perhaps, although my jealousy would start to rise, spend time with somebody of the opposite sex. Um, but, but even there is where something starts to happen because there is a protected aspect to marriage. And anything that breaks that um, is, is damaging something so important that jealousy is actually proper at that point. Um, and I, I was thinking about it in the context, like Ben, you said love. I don't know if I'm jealous for my children. I might be jealous for their happiness, perhaps, but we let our children go, right? That, um, if, if, now, if, an, if another person came in and began to teach my children something that was improper or incorrect, I would remove my child out because I'm jealous for parts of that. But I think the true picture is right here. There is a place for jealousy. And a, a husband who knows that his wife or a wife who knows that her husband is behaving in a way where that relationship is, things are being done that should not be being done, the proper response is jealousy. In fact, the proper response is what we see God doing when he confronts Moses. This whole thing is the actions of a jealous God saying, you've taken something that is reserved for me and you've given it to somebody else and it's wrong and it will not be allowed. Run.
2: you uh, yeah. He's
0: going to, protect. You're going to protect what's important. Yeah. yeah. Um, what you will find, and I could give you the verses, but if you do a Bible study search on God being jealous, it is always in response to them worshiping other gods. And when you think about Israel and God, the relationship between them is always pictured as husband-wife. That's the relationship between God and his people, Israel. We have an entire book in the Bible of Hosea, where Hosea is asked to take a prostitute for a wife. And the picture is the same picture of God dealing with Israel. Um, if you, but, but if you do this, you look up jealousy. Um, it, it always is followed with, I'm jealous, or it's preceded with, don't worship other gods, or if you worship other gods, then, then I am a jealous God, all right? Now, here, here's the interesting thing. You can look at this one of two ways. I think the reason that God is jealous is as much a part of his goodness as any other. I think we would agree with that because this is the relationship God desires. Uh, think of a marriage that's broken, and the pain that that causes everybody involved. We are created to worship God. And if we are not worshiping God and worshiping him wholeheartedly, he is jealous and he's jealous of us as well. Um, Couple of verses go over to, by the way, if you want a really fascinating read and it's too long for here, Ezekiel 16, where God says, I found you wallowing in your blood, I took you, I raised you, I brought you to the place where we could marry, and I married you, and then you went off and prostituted yourself to everybody. I made you a queen, and then you went out and you prostituted yourself to all these other nations, and it's in the context of worshiping other gods. God comes in at the beginning of the Ezekiel, and, and takes um, Ezekiel in and gets, lets him see the secret places in the temple, and they are worshiping other gods. They have idols set up in the temple. They are bowing to the east, worshiping another god, and that's why the glory departs. And God says there's a divorce that's going to happen now because the jealousy is, is there. They've, they've, they've uh, ruined the relationship. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, Paul, talking to the Corinthian church, which had numerous problems, says, um, verse 2, now this is slightly different, but I think it's interesting. Paul says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to be prepare, present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul says, I understand what God is feeling. I'm feeling the divine jealousy. I'm feeling what God would feel. Why? Because when I betrothed you to Christ, I betrothed you as a pure virgin. And now you are out prostituting yourself. Um, it was interesting if you go back to Ezekiel 34. In the ESV, it uses the word whoring after other gods, but what I found was really interesting was what God says. He says in verse 15, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, um, and you eat of their sacrifice, and you take their daughters to the sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. Who's whoring after foreign gods? The Israelites, but uh, maybe, but even the foreigners are whoring after their gods. Their worship of a false god is always an offense to God. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. When they were worshiping their gods they are whoring after those gods because the only proper worship is of, of God the Father. Um, and even though those people weren't in covenant with him, so he isn't jealous for them in the same way, it's still whoring after other gods. Is
1: there not an aspect of protection in that jealousy?
2: Um, yeah, especially from a husband to... Uh, it, it's to protect you. Yeah
0: yeah yeah I would agree with that that there's a reason that a husband or a wife becomes jealous of their spouse it's because danger is on the horizon. yeah um, does, Is this same thing true of us? Obviously. Jesus doesn't talk quite in those terms, but if you go to Matthew Matthew chapter um, 6. Starting at verse 19, says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasures for heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness and it's the idea of a single of singleness of vision, if then your light, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then we go into the whole thing about not being anxious for our life. And finally, verse 33, seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is, is its own troubles. What God wants from us, and it's just as true, in fact, because we have a greater covenant, it's more true for us, in a sense. No, it's just as true for everybody. That's not right. The only proper object of worship is God, and God settles for nothing other than wholehearted worship, and he will continue to work until we have that. Um, It's not okay to be divided in our affections. Uh, you know, if April came to me and said, you know what, Scott, I love you, but there is somebody else. But I tell you what, I'll just be with him one night a week. Is that okay? Oh, that's, that's just as bad, right? It doesn't matter that she's giving most to me. It's that she's giving what belongs to me to somebody else. And the same thing if those were reversed. It's not okay. And God is saying there's not even dabbling. You don't do any of that. So if we're going to have an application here, there's none of you who have a golden idol in your home. If you do, come talk to me afterwards and we'll, we'll deal with that. What are, what are the gods, the false gods that we deal with that take us away from our worship, our single-minded devotion to God? you can answer what other anything. people may deal with anything, is the word. anything anything but let's be a little more specific yes anything but i think work. they f- work your work your work and maybe as americans our prosperity and we tie into our prosperity our security and all of those things can become a god pretty pretty easily what else what was that education? Education, ex- explain. So, I'm just curious as to why you say that. As no. a teacher, I'm very offended. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: Because in our culture, I think so many folks, I'll just say, worship as the altar of education. <coughs> if, if you just graduate high school, that's not nearly enough. Come on.
2: Well, if they're concerned about not so much education, but the letters behind their name, okay, that becomes them rather than their
0: name? See, I would take a different tack. I would say that the, there's an idea that if we just educate enough people, we'll solve our problems. No. Um, so I, I remember at school, I probably have told this story, but it was, it, was, uh, it was a kid who got in trouble. And somebody said, but he's a straight A student. And, and I said, I, well, I was talking with another guy who was actually a Bible teacher. And I said, what difference does that make? The sin nature is just as real in him he may be very well educated, it doesn't mean that he's not sinful because we buy into the idea that if you're well educated, right, don't we have that whole commercial thing, the more you know, with the little star that goes across, maybe that's old fashioned, but it was, it was kind of like just keep kids in school and we won't have kids go, we even see the billboards, uh, how, how much it costs to keep kids in school versus how much it costs to keep in prison, as if those two are linked together. Um, they aren't necessarily. What else? Money. Okay, money. Uh, that one is a perennial. Uh, we cannot serve God and mammon. Ron? I think it's anything in relation to taking our eyes off of God and making anything
2: to
0: the But see, you're doing the same thing Darla did. You just said anything. Uh, relationships, very good. Uh, we do tend to put our relationships oftentimes above God. That our relationships may be more important to us than God.
2: John, when he closes first John, his last statement uh, said, Don't say sincerely, John. He said, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Yes. And he not tell us.
0: Yeah, but if you just say this, Rod, it doesn't help us because um, we're we're being specific. Go ahead, Becky.
1: So the biggest idol I really see, like the biggest one, is our phones because um, <laughs> no, I, I've even I mean, I've even been told you cannot go without your phone. You can't you can't be without your phone. And I mean I understand. So it's a huge to me. Like it really is probably the biggest this young generation, probably the biggest, biggest, biggest idol, because even just when you, when we have a problem, we should go to the Lord instantly. And the first thing any kid, or even sometimes myself, which I constantly, constantly have to fight, is to go to Google or go to this. And I just see it being really, honestly, even in my own life, just as an adult, being a struggle, can you imagine now Giving
0: it to your 13-year-old and thinking, "Okay, you can handle this." I just—it's almost beyond what I can almost like. Talk about. Okay, yeah, I think you've made your point really, really well. I remember reading an article where they said if, if, um, if an alien came down and just observed without being able to speak, he would think that we have a god in our pocket because we're constantly consulting it. So it's constant. Yeah, Tom.
2: They never satisfied. And so his point is, is, we were created for that. Exactly. We were created for, for what is coming and, and what is present now for those who believe. And that's why nothing
0: satisfies and, and that's why when we come back here to this, this is why God is good in doing this, demanding this just like a marriage cannot be happy and neither person will be satisfied if there is unfaithfulness, then the same thing is true. Uh, it's not just God watching out for himself, we were created for worship. And if we're worshiping anything else, like Tom just said, we are unsatisfied and I think we know that. Let me, let me throw out a couple of others, I would think with phones, our entertainment. Um, I'm just going to maybe step on some toes here, but um, I was reading an article about the NFL and the flag, the kneeling and whatnot. And uh, the article, there was a really good article, and in the comments, one guy said at the bottom, isn't it great to have two false gods battling it out? And the two false gods were patriotism and sports. We have two false gods that are f- battling it out. Some people are... The Constitution or our country is greater than anything else, and sports uh, rules everything, right? Uh, we, you know, if the if the coach says play now, we play now, even if there might be something more important to be doing right then. So I, I I don't want I I don't want anybody to think that I don't love our country, but I just found it interesting that you can make a god out of our country, which is. Uh, extreme patriotism, and I think in our world sports is, if not a god, it's awful close to it for a lot of people where uh, that sports is the most important thing. We put the focus on that, other than God. Now we're almost, uh, okay. Couple more, Rod. Well,
2: I think jealousy comes into play. Our pastor's been talking about the Good Shepherd, and what's the Good Shepherd do? He leaves his sheep beside still waters. He takes them into green pastures. He restores their soul. He does all of those things. So jealousy comes. In a anxiety, when anxiety takes over in our lives and we're not trusting him to take care of those, all of those things that are needed. Okay, Jay. Appearances, but where, how our houses
0: look, all of those outward kinds of things. Okay, so outward appearances. Very good. Lisa. Was that? Health and fitness, yeah. For a lot of people that's way up there that we spend a lot of time making sure that we're physically healthy. So let's, let's just bring it, bring it back because we're, we're out of time. I, I do think this is right, <laughs> but it, it's nice to list some of them. Um, so let's just do a little self-evaluation. Um, are those things taking you away from God? Do we go through an entire week and not have any time for God? no time to pray, no time to read the, the word, no time to spend with him. Because I will be honest, if that's the case, then one of these has been put in front of him. Um, you know, back, I, I, th- I think we realize it, but back in the, the day when we had television sets and you'd have some, ah, I'm just too busy to, to um, I know we still have television, but it used to be television shows only came on at certain times. You know, um, I don't have time to read my Bible and pray, but I've got three shows that I watch regularly, right? Well, those then are above above God. You may not worship them, but you're putting them above him. Something is wrong, and God, I think, is jealous for his people, and he's jealous for you, and he'll keep working um, it's, it's not based on him just getting angry. The point is that he loves you. He's in covenant with you. And there's only one thing that will bring satisfaction. And my guess is what he will keep doing is tearing down the false gods in your life where you keep finding. We go over to Teen Challenge and we find a Teen Challenge people there who are finding that the God that they had given their life to intentionally or unintentionally had totally failed them. And now they're starting over. And hopefully they start over with their eyes on God. But there's a lot of distractions in this world. So um, it, 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 that the passage applies to us as well. We have a great covenant, an awesome covenant, even more awesome than the old covenant. Um, but God is a jealous God. He demands our worship and only worship of him. So.